accept not acceptable. <laughs> as you know, as, as acceptable as, as acceptable as possible. Accept us, please. No. <laughs> Give us a good review. Hey, you know what? These guys they're acceptable. This is fun. Thumbs up and like this. Subscribe. Five stars acceptable. Five stars. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Environment Art Podcast. Uh, this is episode three. Uh, my name is Justin Rodriguez. I'm an environment artist on the East Coast. I work at Firaxis Games. And my name is Ryan Benno. I work on the West Coast, and I work at Insomniac Games. Uh, both of us love games and art and game development, but uh, this podcast, we uh, specialize in environment art. And we have a really cool um, episode uh, planned for you guys today. But before that... Yeah, uh, so we know that it's been a little bit of a while since we did a episode. Uh, that was not intentional. We definitely wanted to get another one out uh, soon. It's just both Justin and I have been pretty busy with other things. There's been a lot of work, a lot of vacation, a lot of studying uh, along the way. And we had a couple times where we were like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to have to set this up. Uh, it just didn't quite pan out that way. Uh, that being said, though... Moving forward, we actually have a pretty good set schedule for how we're going to be doing pretty much everything up until probably the beginning of next year. So we'll be doing way more regular episodes and scheduling of the episodes, so you'll be getting them more frequently. Once we kind of get into a rhythm of here, it'd be nice. You know, at some point, we'll kind of get everything up and running. Uh, well, you know, it's like it's like pre-production. You're kind of fumbling through for a while and be like, oh, wait, okay, now we're in production, and now we need to schedule everything. Yep. yep. <laughs> we, get, we just get into the routine of it, right? Heck yeah. So, and I'm really excited for, like, all the all the people, the guys and gals that we have set up for interviews. So yeah. that will be, yeah, it, it once we get all the, the confirmations on uh, when they can record, it's going to be just really, really, really cool. So. Yeah, yeah. Now the list of of people that we have ready to go to some extent, and a little bit of a wish list of people that we want to interview is super exciting to see. So we hope you guys will like that in the future as well. Heck yeah! Yeah. So today we have a very special episode. I know I talked to Ryan early on before we even started the podcast about doing an episode like this, and this episode is going to be for students, um, especially students that want to uh, get into the environment art discipline of game development and we'll be running through uh, helpful website software and advice for these students and or any students to use on their journey to become environment artists in the game industry i guess the, the first thing we should start off with is really what's been kind of manifesting um in uh game development education and uh 3d and in animation education uh the past couple years which is mentoring and online uh, classes versus actually going to uh, like a four-year college. And um, I think it would be really good for us to, to start the podcast off discussing the pros and cons of, of going to these, uh, going to a traditional school um, versus maybe, you know, coming out of high school and, and spending the time and money to uh, enroll in all these online classes and, and maybe do mentorships 
uh, with uh, other artists in the industry. Yeah, for sure. I think about this a lot. Actually, I'm not 100% sure with you, but like, I think you yeah. went to a four-year school, right? I yeah, did. So like, I did. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and like I went to one as well. So we come from kind of seeing the pros and cons of what that is, you know. And obviously, as we kind of have gone along in our careers, too, we've taken online courses. We've had some mentorship programs Absolutely. Uh, as well. I run a mentorship program of my own as well. That being said, though, like it definitely, there's not a straight answer, I would say, f- to say for like a blanket answer for everybody to say, hey, everybody should do traditional school everybody should do online courses it definitely is yep. a bit of a you have to find the best fit for yourself um sometimes you don't know what's the best fit for you but yeah. also yeah. you know as you start to kind of feel confident in what you're capable of doing as an artist i think you definitely have to start looking out and saying okay where are my holes and where do i think it's going to give me the best benefit beyond just like the skills work right like yeah one of the things i usually say that's great about going to a more, a more traditional school is it's as opposed to doing the online courses and, and mentorship stuff is that there definitely is a sense of uh community yeah. and networking that you don't normally get in yeah. all that stuff too that becomes super crucial down the road as well um and also traditional schools usually have you not totally focus on just one thing right of like all right just go be a environment artist or be a character artist exactly. right if, yeah if you sign up in an online course you're not going to learn about like <laughs> you know let's say as a good example for me it was like one of my f- favorite courses in college that i took outside of like my 3d and art ones was i took a course on film history that focused primarily on the vietnam war oh, and wow. that was that, that was like a focus on not just, you know, like looking at films that, that depicted that era. So, you know, we saw like Platoon, Apocalypse yeah, yeah. Now, but we also saw documentaries talking about how that event happened, right? Uh, we saw news clips of that and news segments from the era as well as also like, hey, how did how did the U.S. get involved in Vietnam, right? Like, yeah. and that was a very eye-opening thing. And I feel like it's definitely... You know, courses like that in some ways help build you up as a whole person, not just as a specific craftsman or an artist. And that stuff is, to me, super important to have for sure. My whole thing with it too is like, you know, I've, I've thought about that a lot recently and in the past couple of years of when I take online courses, man, if this stuff was really around in the quality and the quantity that it, that it is now back when I was in school. So I was in, I graduated from college in 2009. So I started in 2005. So basically, I went to a four-year art college here in Maryland. And I think one of the the nice things about being in an art college was I spent a lot of time building up my foundational art skills, Uh, just drawing and painting, painting oils, painting watercolors. I was doing a lot of that stuff in high school. But getting into a art college that had studio classes, and I'll get back to this in a second, that were like six hours long was really really beneficial but also with that i you know it's funny that you said that you took this platoon not platoon but this vietnam movie and documentary course i was really really into a lot of art history and a lot of documentary film courses that the the college offered and that wasn't my major my major was animation at the time because that was really the closest thing i could get 
to kind of like a game development major. That, that was the only um, major that was using 3D Max and, and looking at Maya and looking at all the software that was available at the time, doing 3D scans, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I was, I was in animation kind of trying to get some technical chops of using this new software and learning how to animate, but also taking these art history classes and these drawing courses. I took nature drawing. I took figure drawing every year, um, painting, landscape painting and just really tried to get the whole gamut when I was there. And the, the thing that I see today is that that is still possible. You, you could definitely do that if you were to take a, a bunch of online courses or kind of string them all together. But a lot of the online places that I've seen so far definitely do have a specificity to the, the types of courses. And they're, they're, they're very, very focused on probably the best thing or one, one of the best things you, you can focus on is actually like getting a job and having the specific skills that you need in that specific uh, job in the in the, the game industry so mm-hmm. I mean while you know our college is awesome you know th- these mentorships are also super great so I think that before we were recording I was kind of like just working it out in my head I think where where I am now with this type of stuff is like man you know not everyone gets a chance to go to a four-year college specifically a four-year art college it, it can be expensive and everything but there are some really, really kind of good, cheaper colleges out there, or community colleges where they offer a good basis or a good foundational courses. I, I would probably, if I was to go back to school, I would probably go to, I wouldn't go to the same art school. I probably would end up going to um, another university here in um, in Maryland or a community college, and I would probably like still try to study art. But I would be supplementing that with these uh, these mentorships and these online courses. I feel like the one thing that I didn't get out of school, out of college, was there really wasn't a lot of working professionals, and we see this a lot in a lot of colleges. Uh, yeah, very much so. The United States. Um, I'm not really. I don't want to say anything about Europe, but I, I keep hearing these stories from a lot of different. Uh, guys and gals in the game industries that they would have teachers that maybe had been in the game industry and I know there's a lot of great teachers out there and and not that these these guys and gals are these other teachers weren't but you know there's just there's a big difference between having someone that is working in uh, development and working in the game industry at the specific time that they're teaching your class and there's one that there's a difference between that and someone that has been in the game industry but they were in the game industry four or five years ago because the the technology and the process changes so rapidly that it's really really hard like even no matter hard how hard you try to kind of keep up with this stuff a lot of it is uh sequestered off with um different um uh companies you know because they 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 tend to you know keep certain types of techniques and stuff like that in-house until, you know, it's time to kind of for the game to ship. And so you, you'll find out about these things at the end of the year or at the mm-hmm. end of a couple of years of development. So it's just really hard to get all that documentation. And it's it's really hard for some of these uh, these professors and stuff, too, and these teachers to get to GDC and, and learn all this stuff and be able to change their, you know, their um, their scheduling and their... Um, their courses to kind of match what the uh, game development needs at that specific time. So Yeah, absolutely. That's for sure. And yeah. to kind of your point as well about I'll give you a good example. Yeah. Uh, I will not name the person A because I don't remember their name. Uh, but the first time I ever had a proper 3D game art class, right? 
the person that taught it did just to give you a little bit of perspective this is probably yeah. around 2007 yeah 2000 early 2000 yeah maybe like yeah like late 2007 early 2008 and you know this is like right around the time that unreal 3 became available for people to use so it's yeah. like all right here's all the you know here it is here's what we would consider like the current next gen tech is now available for people to use right and so everyone's yeah. talking about normal maps and higher resolution textures and he came in this dude who had never taught a class before but had worked at a smaller studio for a very long time and pretty much was like everybody here's going to make 256 textures and do tiny little things because that's what the job you're probably going to end up getting and everybody in the class is like no we want to do triple a games yeah and uh... and he would just critique us on like making this tiny little like treasure box that was going to be like no bigger than a 256 texture it's like i need you to cram as much information in this as you possibly can yeah. and it's a bunch of students who you know, like probably six, nine months earlier had never opened up a 3D program like the most of us. Um, yeah. And now all of a sudden he's having us do all this other stuff and we're just like, what is going on? And uh, ultimately we actually kind of forced him out <laughs> as a class and got to come in to teach us because we were like, look, like we're looking at all the people that are ahead of us in school who are doing Unreal 3 level stuff and this guy wants us to do like N64 PS1 style, yep, you know, yep. or like, you know, like DS style, like quality work. And that's not what we're here to do. And that's not what we, we were told the school focus on. And that's not what, you know, like the walls of our school were covered with all these student projects that looked like, you know, current gen stuff for the time, right? Or at yeah. least, you know, within the relative recent uh, past. So, that becomes, to me, I've definitely seen that where it's just like people and schools that do not hire the correct type of people yep. uh, and lead their students astray, right? Like if, if if the group I was not in with that class did not stand up, right? That That's an inc- incredibly, um, that is the exception, I would say, yep. in most cases right you might have a couple disgruntled students and even if most of the class is disgruntled you probably won't get them to stand up yeah, um, but i was lucky enough to have a lot of really great people in my class awesome. uh that ended up doing stuff like that right where we're like no this is what we want to do like yeah. this is this is how we want things to go and the school was very receptive to us wanting to do that stuff right yeah. and that's that's a, the, the interesting thing too is like i actually have experience very similar to that where it, you know the teachers you know they they, they might it's not always this, you know, it, the game, game, the game industry moves so fast that it is very hard for some of these schools to keep up, and there needs to be better lines of communication for sure. Uh, and that, but that's a whole other subject. But what you just picked up on is, I think, really important. Is that you know maybe some of the students that are listening to this are already in, you know, they they are students. They already are in some sort of college, and maybe they're dealing with this where, you know, they feel like they're learning some good stuff but then there's some things where they feel like they're not getting enough support in some areas maybe with software or maybe the fact that they kind of have figured out that one of their teachers is kind of teaching them something that might seem a little bit older and they want to learn uh, basically a newer technique of working in a 3D program maybe you're working in an old 3D package you know or something like that or old software I mean the my my personal experience is like attempt to talk with your your uh, your department chairs if possible or your teachers and just say you know this is show them examples of a specific type of artwork like you did and 
and, and certain tasks and topics that you're attempting to, to kind of learn. And we'll, mm-hmm. later in the podcast, we're basically going to get some websites and some resources that uh, students can look at to make sure, you know, like their, their work is kind of standing up with what else is out there from other students and other younger artists that are trying to get in the game industry because it is very competitive to get in. I mean, a lot of people want to be in this industry and and it is a really awesome industry to be in. It's very creative and it's, it's very cutting edge most of the time with the technology and the software. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll make sure that we have that stuff at the, at the end here. But though, I, I want to real quick just take a, a step back. I said earlier before that when I went to college, I was in these long studio courses. And the one last thing about like the positives of proper college and specifically getting like proper art courses like in foundational skills and drawing and painting is that these if you can get into studio courses where you're sitting there and you're drawing or you're painting for four to six hours a day is super helpful for being an environment artist and an artist in the game industry because that's pretty much what your day is going to look like as a junior artist and it, it still kind of is that way as a senior artist as well I mean you you come to work you have a couple projects that you're working on you might have a meeting or two but then you're gonna sit there and you have to have the fortitude and the focus to kind of work on your artwork for a very long time which is which is very different than being in school um, and kind of working on a little personal project for an hour or two at home you know like that that's a that's a whole other thing I feel like people really don't talk about about being in the game industry is that the, there is a skill to basically working on art for hours at a time for one day and then coming back and doing the same thing oh, yeah. every other day. I mean, like mm-hmm. there, there's a certain type of mindset to, that you want to be in, and it's very easy to kind of get burnt out, which we'll also get get into a little later. But yeah, that's I feel like that was a really positive thing. And and while there are these online courses where they have like the Sundays or weekends where the teacher will sit there and kind of work with you. It just it does it, it pales in comparison to being in these classes. So if there's any way, even at community colleges, they'll sometimes do sculpting and all the and painting and and uh, landscape classes and stuff like that. Even this summer, you know, if you're looking to do something, maybe you can kind of uh, register for one of those things, or even get out there and, and try to um, paint or draw outside and and try to get some art done in a couple core hours because it really does help. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and I think that even to kind of push that point a bit more too is like you have to think about how consistent you have to kind of produce the work too, right? It's not just the 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 length of it. It's also like I need to okay, cool. I made one really nice environment. Now I need to move on to the next thing, right? Yep. And and repeat that same quality bar over and over again, right? Exactly. And so that's super important. You know, again, all these things can always be different depending on the studio or the team that you're with and the type of project that you're on absolutely you know if you're yeah. doing like a linear you know let's, let's just use this as a as a good example like god of war right like mm-hmm. making a god of war game is different than making witcher 3 right yeah. in terms of the way the environment artists a how they build these stuff but also like the type of roles that might be needed for that type of work too you know absolutely um and so those things can be varied in a lot of cases and i think that's something that i noticed um especially with students that like i've had that come to me from a variety of different schools is like they tend to usually teach you the methodology of here's how to make a prop 
right? Yes, yep. But they don't really go into the depth that is actually needed to build proper environments, right? And they'll teach you yep. the basics of a couple things, but that is a totally different thing. And I think what you end up getting is a lot of students who sometimes feel like the only way to make an environment is by making a uniquely unwrapped and textured asset. Yep, I, I, right? I and, absolutely. I, I fell into that, that kind of pitfall, of, uh, for lack of a better term, in college where same here yeah yeah, yeah. it's like i i just i thought that i didn't have enough documentation at the time it was much different i mean there was stuff out there but there was really no one to talk to you know i had, I had a couple friends that were just had started in the industry but they were kind of blind too to some of this stuff but it's like you know no one i no one taught me how to do trim sheets or um reusing of assets you know like I, I was just starting to understand that stuff and I, I'm here here I am in my like my uh, senior year and I mean I could unwrap and do unique props but that's how I thought environments were made you know mm -hmm. and I it took a it took a while to kind of change my mind I, I do see a lot of schools now and a lot of students honestly I mean there's some great stuff on 80 level now just learning how to do kit work and and systematic assets and it, it it looks great i mean i think i think that's definitely come much farther than it was when we were in school it does bring up a good point here just talking about work where there is really a difference between like what you want to do with your portfolio work versus production work when you're in the industry and maybe oh, yeah. we can kind of talk a little bit about that you want to be able to make things in your portfolio that kind of stand alone and with environment art it, there's a lot of tiny pieces to make a whole and maybe we can kind of explore you know what what's kind of the best avenue that uh, students can go into for for kind of constructing an environment art portfolio? Yeah, uh, that, that is that is that is the million dollar question for a lot of people, right? Is like, what's the best way for me to do stuff? And I think this goes back to the schooling work as well. In my experience, right, like with me and with students that I've spoken with, there's never really somebody over your shoulder saying, "Hey, actually, you need to consider this is going to be a little different than." necessarily what would be in a shipped polished game right yeah. a lot of that too is like you know taking into account that like the teachers that i had while some of them worked in the industry at the time right so we're talking about like 10 years ago yeah yeah a lot of them worked full time during the ps2 era mm -hmm. it's, it's a whole generation behind what i was trying to focus on at that time right like yeah it's an even bigger leap than you know the generation that we just had you know, or, or that we're currently in, right? Like, you know, you had the introduction of normal maps and specular maps, pre-computed shaders, right? Like, that wasn't even really a thing as much, you know, during the, like, GameCube, the PS2 era, right? Yeah. So their own specific knowledge base is kind of not fully caught up either, and yet at the same time, they're trying to teach students, like, hey, here's ZBrush, and everybody is using ZBrush for everything, which is not true. Uh, yeah. You should do that, right? <laughs> and so, you know, and and ultimately, though, too, like there's ways that you can use these tools and you can figure out on your own what you think is true and isn't working, right? Um, the way, and I think kind of what we're getting at with this whole discussion is that you need to have a good balance between the different things that you pull from in terms of your own personal education, right? You don't put all your eggs in one basket saying, I'm going to go to the best school out there right now, and I'm going yep. to only focus on just what they are teaching me, and that will get me a job, right? Maybe, like, like yeah. 
few people, but yeah. I was just going to say, like, just a little anecdote there. It's just the art that got me. I think this is really important to say that the art that was that I used to get a job in the game industry was stuff that I did on my personal time. So the, the, the art that I was actually making in my animation courses was mostly animation. I kind of figured out by junior year that I just wasn't – I loved animation. I was doing great in my animation courses, but I did not want to do that as a career. And mm -hmm. however, I had to kind of stay in that major to be able to really be in the, the computer labs that had all the software. So I ended up going there at nights after classes and working on models and textures and did personal work. And that in a summer class, they had a game development summer class that some of the game devs from around the, the area came down and taught. And that, those were the two things, the two pieces that I used to get into the industry. So it, just, mm -hmm. it really just shows, like, I think the best thing to do is, is be adaptive and, and make the time to be able to study in those, uh, those other areas. And there, that's, I think that's a really great point is that even as a professional artist, uh, there's just no way in a professional environment to study every single facet of environment art and, and especially the disciplines that kind of are right next to environment art, like effects and, and um, like technical art, which, you know, technical art will usually deal with kind of creating shaders and, and doing lighting and some other studios will have like lighting artists and, and stuff like that. So I'll take courses to kind of touch on those areas where I feel like I'm not getting a lot of experience. And it's the same thing yeah. if you're in school. If, you know, if you feel like you're not getting, you're, you know, you're making these in props, but you're not learning how to uh, texture well, then go on some of these websites like CG Master Academy and see if they have a texturing course or... You know, if you're not lighting and you want to light your, your environments and you feel like your lighting might be weak because you're looking on Polycount and some of these other websites and you're seeing students light their work better, you know, maybe do some stuff at home, but also like maybe try to take a course or, or watch some videos on uh, YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really yeah. about, yeah, like compromising and figuring out when you kind of have to stray away from just focusing on, not that you shouldn't focus on your classwork, because you absolutely should, when it's time to kind of like take that personal time, look at other courses and other studies. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also like, you know, ultimately too, you know, the difference we're talking about between a portfolio and a and ready for production art is that I think any student should be totally aware of the fact that they are very different things. Absolutely. Uh, I usually tell my students like a portfolio is more of putting your best foot forward and saying, here's what I'm capable of doing, right? Within reason, right? I'm not Absolutely. saying go off and make it like a hundred thousand try table, you know, make something that, you know, is like game ready. You know, you can put it into an engine, you can go through the pipeline of getting it into, you know, Unreal, Unity, Lumberyard, CryEngine, whatever it might be, and just be able to show that you can go through that pipeline. You have a basic fundamental like understanding of that, right? Yeah. You know, again, like kind of like I just mentioned, like the fundamentals or the foundational things, I think, is what's really good about either of these routes in, in a lot of cases. It really just kind of depends where you're at and just knowing, hey, I'm struggling with color, go and figure out a way to go, you know, like look up different ways to study color composition. You might be, you know, let's say that you're out of school, you might be lucky enough to have a teacher there that's really good at that. You know, like I had a yep. really good teacher. Uh, that worked at DreamWorks that was able to instill in me very early on that, oh, hey, I like color. I didn't realize that about myself. 
and now I have a really good understanding of how this stuff works, and it really helped me early on to figure out the art and the style that I wanted to go with as a student, and that kind of helped lead me down the road of the type of work that, that I produced, right? Yeah. And that stuff, you know, again, like, we're talking about art foundation, but there's so many other different things that you can kind of take in as well that I think play into the art, right? It's yeah. not just like, can you make a really good looking thing? It's also, can you make something that is going to get somebody excited beyond just the aesthetics of it, right? Absolutely. And that is super important. Um, and sometimes, and I think in the cases of a lot of these specialist schools or art schools, they don't always focus on that. And courses in a lot of cases don't always focus on that as it probably, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing <laughs> to have a course not focus on that. If it's like, hey, I want to learn how to light inside of Unreal, yeah. I would expect I just want to learn the buttons. Show me the things, show me the knobs and things and like information that I need to consider when I'm lighting a thing, right? Yeah. But it is, but that is a part, right? Like very easily, if you're building a course or you're building a school, you could easily say, oh, let's just cut that. But really that stuff is just as important because all that stuff goes into your decision-making. It yeah. goes into your influence of the type of work that you make, the type of things that you're interested in making. And I think you then run into the issue of what we see in a lot of schools, which is like, all right, here's a bunch of AAA games that have come out in the last decade. Just make work that looks exactly like that in that style. And then you start cannibalizing yourself. You don't get as much unique stuff. And those people that are able to get out of that cycle, that are able to produce really good work, and then also do really, you know, artistically and intellectually interesting pieces, they're the ones that are going to get the jobs. They're the ones that are going to move up in places, you know? So that's something to kind of take into consideration too, is like, all right, how do I get myself to stand out? And a good education not just art, but just a general good education is super important for that. Absolutely. And I mean, like, really just, like, talking about establisher style and, and versus chasing those styles, like, you know, of the AAA games. It's just, you know, I, I felt like some of my more successful pieces in my portfolio, that the, the stuff that got me hired, were the things that I just kind of, like, you know, just sprung into my mind. I had this idea of a robot that uh, was, like, a, a an old 80s like a aerobics instructor mm-hmm. and he was wearing like you know the kind of like the big like leg warmers and he had, you know just but he was also kind of like like you know roided out and kind of like this goofy guy with like a, and it, just, it just was something that was really exciting to me i just remember kind of doodling with ink and making these cool silhouettes and saying like hey i'm just gonna do this and and just ended up like kind of taking that through and it, i wasn't it wouldn't come from anywhere specifically like at the time, I think it was really important. We can get into this later too. I wasn't really playing video games. It was like the one thing. It's like I wanted to yeah. make video games, and and I was so focused on doing the work that needed to be done to get in the industry. Like this was the time when like God of War two came out, like Shadow of the Colossus. I missed all of that. I had to come back like uh, I want to say like two years later, or something like that. Final Fantasy twelve. There was like big things happening in World of Warcraft at the time. Like, I just was like completely gone. I was I was in my studies, and it, it wasn't weird for me. It was one of these things that I remember going to college and be like, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna get bummed like if we don't have like good internet, I can't play Halo and all this. Like that, it just completely was like just diffused and it was gone from my mind. 
Uh, it's yeah. so it's like so focused on the, the the art and 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 really just kind of making my own things and again that's a, the thing about having diversity um in your studies is like you know like the things that i was doing in my nature painting class were kind of uh being infused into my 3d work and i um and even just a lot of the um art history stuff i was taking egyptian um art history and Roman art history and I took Pacific art it, it just was like all over the place I was just like at one point I had to like stop and say do I want to keep taking these courses I'm about to have a like a minor in drawing and a minor in art history I was like yeah I'm gonna keep taking them and just like see where this goes like I just would I, I start taking creative writing courses and just like it, something was feeling right like I was like hitting the right buttons because it was like, giving me enough juice to kind of put back into my studies my, my main focus Mm -hmm. uh, for my major so yeah yeah no dude that that is exciting to hear because i had a kind of similar experience as well like going <laughs> like yeah through college right it's like i got into college i was really into games really into like let's you know japanese rpgs again that was like the tail end you know i got into school around 2005 yeah uh, as well and that's when it was like okay here's like all you know like here's the end of the ps two era here's the beginning of the 360 and you know ps3 was kind of hinted at and stuff like that right yeah and for about two years i just didn't pay attention to games at all yeah. i was just totally into school uh the way that my school kind of operated was they spent the first half of your time just learning fundamentals and doing a lot of like electives like kind of the film course that i talked about yeah um creative writing topology just a bunch of other things that you can kind of get a good breadth of and i think worked really great for where i was yeah. and it opened me up to a lot of different things it opened me up to also critical thinking of a variety yeah. of different things yeah. and so for me it was like i wasn't paying attention to games at all because i was just like i'm way more interested in learning more about theater and film and the history of film and documentaries yeah. all stuff that now i'm like you know like i can pull from that base of knowledge and that excitement that i have that like good two three year gap right yeah. and then i didn't really get back into games until bioshock really you know yeah. and like it hit at the perfect time because it was like oh art deco you know if like yeah. you had asked me a couple of years earlier i would have probably not known exactly what that was right like, i could identify it but because but because i had that time away from games i was able to have that appreciation it's like art deco cool oh you're going to talk about like ayn ran imagery yeah. and reusing a lot of the same things that she had and have very critical look you know at the time anyways like a critical look at like objectivism yeah. and it's like oh cool that oh it's a first person shooter awesome right like it was a baby step but at that time but you know like those things are what you really need along the way to really say hey here's what i'm ultimately trying to push for right it's like i fell off the jrpg bandwagon very quickly once i got into college Yep. And I didn't really get back into it until a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, um, same. And I can have an appreciation for that. Now, there's definitely things that I see it where it's not the thing that I cherish as much as I did when I was like 16 years old, and that's fine. But I can cherish and have the appreciation of what that started to lead me down the road of. Yep. You know, because if I didn't like that stuff, I wouldn't have learned my love of things like comic books and... Yep graphic novel stories and david lynch films right like yeah. 
yep. those things all kind of tied in together, right? And so if I didn't have that two-year span in college where I didn't think of games and I just focused on these other mediums, and then I came back to games and said, whoa, hey, awesome. This is really cool, right? And it's still stuff that today, sometimes games creatively don't always pull from as well. Yeah. I definitely think it's way better now than it was, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Oh, yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. Way better. But it's definitely something that, you know, is important to have. It's like, oh, cool. Let's pull from that and let's kind of use that in ways, right? And so when it comes to environment art, it's kind of the same thing, right? It's like if everybody's doing sci-fi hallway scenes, A, don't do it. <laughs> B, like find something that's going to make you stand out and have some depth Absolutely. to it, right? Absolutely. That's that's the key thing here ultimately is like we're talking about depth it's not just showing in a portfolio hey you can demonstrate that you can make a good texture you can make a good model you can make good material you can get all that inside of an engine that's cool what are the things that are going to put you over the top that are going to get you not just a job but a really good job yeah and that's, that's the key thing too that's the thing too is like uh, kind of talking about that is that don't be afraid to i'm just thinking when you were talking just one of my co-workers at the time he always said something to me that has always stuck with me uh when i when i was a student he would tell students he would just say it doesn't matter if you make a trash can like show me the coolest trash can you possibly can. in the sense of it doesn't have to be this crazy statue or this this really crazy sci-fi gun or a spaceship or a space marine or any of that stuff like it, to show that you can make something mundane interesting to look at, it will really kind of set uh, people off, really get the interest going uh, for your mm -hmm. work. So it's just always something to think about. You don't have to swing really hard for the fences as a student. It's much, it's much more important to focus into kind of creating like just a few interesting art pieces, you know, and then go from there. I think right now, too, talking about working on, on your skills and, and working on your portfolio, we could get further into this and, and say, you know, what we would like to see in portfolios. But I think there's been a lot of really good documentation out there, especially uh, GDC this year, 2018. My coworker and art director, Greg Furch, and my coworker, your coworker, Gavin <laughs> Golden, they do this every year. They do this portfolio uh, review and talk. It's called Killer Portfolio or Portfolio Killer. And they, they do it with other awesome artists in the, the game industry from all different types of disciplines. And you should just really check it out. You can find it on YouTube. And they, they'll go into stuff that we really can't go into in an hour or so of a podcast. So if you're really kind of interested in really seeing what you should put in a portfolio, I mean, feel free to hit us up on Twitter or whatever, but they really will guide you through. And there's other good documentation out there. I don't want to leave our listeners hanging, but we're going to kind of try to go through some other topics as well. So saying that, the one thing that's not really talked about too much, but I, I still see being a trend with younger artists is the idea of chasing tech and software versus establishing foundational art skills. What I mean by foundational art skills is like understanding contrast, composition, color, and tone, maybe learning how to use like traditional art media and not being in the computer the whole entire time. And, you know, computers are becoming part of our lives and cell phones and all this stuff and technology. So if that's the way that students want to do art, I think that's completely fine. But I do err on the side of warning students by saying, you know, there's always going to be the next best software and the next best software package or technique that the newest studio is kind of working on and showing off. 
I think it's so important just beginning as a student to definitely look at the artwork and see the caliber of the artwork and how, how good it looks. But understanding the fact that even though maybe some of these artists are using some good software, that the software from a, a year or two before that is still good to use. You don't have to jump on the next bandwagon every year uh, through through your student career just to kind of keep up. I think it's really, really important like, to know as an artist that the software will always change, but your foundational skills won't. They'll only grow and really help you deal with the ever-churning technological advancement of the industry. So if, if, yeah. if at all possible, like take traditional art courses, take painting, take drawing. You know, if you don't want to draw with, with graphite or charcoal, you can draw in Photoshop. I know a lot of friends that were in college, they would go to um, figure drawing nights and they would bring their laptop and draw in Photoshop. That's completely fine. But I think that's way more important than and uh, making textures. Like if you know if you're working in substance designer, that's completely fine. But this is obviously different from wanting to be a technical artist, and that's a whole other conversation. But you know if you want to work in substance designer and you want to work in these these programs, I think they're awesome to learn in and work in and make art. But make sure that you're you're focusing on making good looking art and less of finding easy ways to make good looking art. Mm-hmm. So, Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think the thing that uh, you kind of hit it on the head there, right, is like, it is easy, and even as artists that have been in this for a long time, you you can get excited by new tech, and like, oh, that's really cool and neat, right? And, yeah, yeah. But you have to be able to take that and understand that it is going to be a supplemental thing to what yeah. you are doing already, right? You still have to be able to be good at understanding how to make objects and make textures and make models you know no matter what art style you're going with you have to still be able to have that same fundamental right if you're doing a painted like a look to something you have to be able to paint and that just means you have to physically learn how to paint to get kind of the look that you want right yeah uh, and so that is yeah like you have like the tech is cool but also i've seen a lot of games special games over a couple of years that do not have the latest tech, you know, the latest engine, or even using, you know, PBR. They are going for a specific look and a specific style, and it it is aesthetically pleasing, and that is important. And I think one of the things we haven't really touched on here as much either, but I think is important to note too, is like looking at where the industry is, Mm -hmm. the type of teams and studios that are out there, and trying to have an understanding of how it is now, and maybe how it'll be when you're going to be out there applying for for jobs. Because right now in our industry, it's very extreme. Pretty much like you have a bunch of large AAA studios that employ hundreds or thousands of people, might even have multiple hundred-person studios working on one game versus smaller indie teams that could be a couple people yeah. And maybe even one or two people with some like contractors and freelancers coming in to kind of get the job done, right? And a lot of schools will usually push you to say, oh, get into AAA. You know, that's a personal decision you have to kind of make. And, and if you don't want to get into AAA, that's fine. You don't yeah. have to go down that route. Find the thing that's going to make you happy, right? Yeah. Hell, you might find a group of people in your school or around the time that are interested in being able to make their own thing. Yep. You feel like you all are capable of making a finished product right you know there's plenty of indie teams and studios out there right like you can look at the guys that made kentucky rap zero which is like probably my favorite game of the decade those two guys that primarily make the game had never made a game before 
and they were installation artists. They weren't even involved in games, but they were using tech in the same way that we use to make games, right? Yeah. So for them, it was at least, you know, you might say, oh, installation artists going into game development. That's kind of a weird mix, but then you could see what the type of work they did, and you're like, all right, I can see where those yeah. skills can translate into game development, right? And Absolutely. so they're able to make something kind of their own thing, right? Yeah. Granted, they were, they're, they're super talented guys. They understand what their quality bar is for anything, yeah. and that's why it's taken them, I don't know, what, seven years to finish Kentucky Route Zero? Like, it's so good though you know, it's, it's so good I, I i i think it's important to say not i mean like there is a there you can get to a certain point a critical mass where like it's been a grotesque amount of time of working on art but yeah really when it's all said and done i mean it just shows that that game came like, they started that years ago and they they finally they finally finished the game and man, is it awesome! And yeah. it, to to me, that holds up. And they're not using, as far as I could tell, a PBR solution or physically based material solution or, or anything no. like that. Or they're know, just going with a very aesthetically more, pleasing, yeah, look, blending right? normals, you know, on the the, the yeah. legs of their characters, or you know, it's just. You like... know what they're doing too is like they got rid of like anti-aliasing in the game entirely because they wanted to go for a very specific look, and they yep. thought that aliasing played up that look, yep. right? So as you know, so all those things were like, oh, you, yes. If you're going for a specific look, if you're going for the look that you would see in pretty much every single large AAA game, yeah, you're probably going to want something like that, right? Yeah. But it is something to take into consideration. Is always like most schools that, that I know are going to push people to go into AAA in terms of if they're doing art stuff, right? Because that you know that is where the jobs are, right? Those are at least guaranteed, right? Where the indie scene is, it's it's not as uh, predictable and yeah you know it's like well you could either team up with a couple people or here's a publisher and studio that has you know 5,000 people in one location working yeah. on one thing right if you're talking about just getting work and making a living yeah. then yeah you're probably going to want to go down that because a little bit more of a safer choice right yeah. just think about that when you're making your stuff as well as like who are you trying appeal to ultimately within your own work right and there's so we took some questions uh from twitter that, and one of them addresses this a little bit and so we'll get into that later on as well yeah yeah for sure so we're kind of running deep into this podcast here we've been talking for a while i think that how we'll finish this off is that you know we, we've parted a mindset of what we could possibly give to students but i think you know students always and i remember being a student of just wanting to know a few like specific details about software and, and websites to visit. So we're going to go through some of that stuff next, and then we'll, we'll finish it off with these questions here. So mm -hmm. the first thing is Max or Maya. I hear this a lot, <laughs> uh, especially specifically for environment art and how to acquire this software. Ryan, you want to kick it off? I, I know that you're a Maya user, and I'm, I'm a Max user, so maybe... I'm a, I'm a convert. I would say, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I, I'm like, oh, Maya is the thing to go with, right? It's yeah. just something where it's like, it's what I know, it's what I'm used to now. Yep. Like, I trained in Max. I used Max for the first couple years I was in the industry. Yeah. And then at some point, I ended up being at a place where they had Maya, and I've pretty much ever since then just been doing nothing but Maya. 
and yeah. that's what I know, right? And so that's what I've been using seven years now, for the most part. That so is. I don't think either. This is more of actually a bigger question, I think, beyond just environment art, right? Like, yeah. if you have a studio that has animation, your animators are going to want to a- probably animate inside of Maya, Maya. right? There's yep. way more Maya animators out there than Max animators, particularly Absolutely. now since like Max is like pretty much just a modeling toolkit right yeah um, absolutely. whereas like when we were in school they were about neck and neck right? it was really just like personal preference at that point and then exactly. like what studios yeah. are using what yep that is true so i mean my, my whole thing is is that i'm, I'm still using max i use it professionally use it uh, personally i would say that you know it really whatever if you're in school or, or whatever you get your hands on and whatever you can use don't worry about it you can make good art in both of them and if you get hired by somebody that uses the other one, you will pick up that program pretty fast. If you know how to use one of them, you're, you're going to be fine. The, the, the theory of working in one of these programs is just enough to kind of push you into a good space to, to learn how to use the other one in a couple weeks or a month or two. And it's not a, it's not a bad thing. It's just we always are learning new software in the the industry and you just you get to this point this mindset where you kind of like calm down and you realize hey like i'm going to use every like again back to the foundational art skills like those are your that's your core tool set and you're going to use that stuff as a barometer to to realize when and where and what you need to learn in these certain software packages yeah for sure and hell you know what i'll even find just my and max there's also blender and moto right uh, yeah blender and moto and blender's and so, looking really yeah. promising like you know especially mm-hmm. i mean anything you can kind of get your hands on i mean like i'm i'm not going to tell people to go and and, and pirate software it's just uh, you know there, there's ways to kind of get this stuff and there's there's you can get versions like, and trial versions versions of, yeah. of all this stuff out there now that you can exactly. definitely but you know on top of that too you know talking like the type of cgi that we in games right we are yeah. not and r- rightfully so it's broken up between like pre-render right so that's like film rendered out images versus what we do which is like we're not rendering very slowly we are rendering a frame you know 30 or 60 you know once every 30 or 60 yeah. seconds right and so no ways to handle 3d have kind of like off and had their own particular paths, right? But at the end of the day, you still have to have an under, like a basic understanding of what 3D is, the history of it, the development of it. You know, it's still a relatively new medium in terms of, you know, let's say like painting or something, right? It's like, it's a totally different thing. Yeah. Um, and it's very tech heavy in terms of the terminology. But if you can have an understanding of like, what's a polygon? What's a triangle? What's a UV? How do I put a texture map? something what's a shader how does a shader right like what's the basic fundamentals of that stuff and it does not mean you have to go out there and write like a hlsl like shader for stuff but it's having an understanding of what it is right and that's something that i think anybody can have a little bit of an understanding of like okay this is what it is i kind of get it even though i don't i understand how that kind of works and incorporates in what i go with right the understanding of like why is geometry expensive oh you know why is texture size at the size that we're supposed to be using for stuff right? is texture data more expensive than geometry data why is that right like start asking those questions what are the different effects that i have to do right like 
we were talking about aliasing, right? There's a yeah. fantastic, I would highly recommend anybody that's listening to this, if you aren't already watching on YouTube, go look up Digital Foundry, and they yes. are incredible. They give yes. you, what they are is a YouTube channel, and they talk about the technical specs of games. They'll talk about hardware, talk about different presentation techniques of like, how do you actually render this stuff on screen? Like, what yep. do you need to do? And they run the gamut of every single game that's been out of, you know, I'd say the last two, three years. You can usually see like a breakdown of a game from a technical standpoint. Um, there's a lot of developers that are actually working with them now to give them data to present the stuff that they're doing because they know there's an audience for that too. Uh, not just like, hey, game devs, like, oh, I'm curious how they did their anti-aliasing solution, right? Um, yeah. So they're great. They're awesome. They go over older games as well. They give you, I think, a really good understanding of also like where 3D and how rendering a image on screen has evolved over time, right? So it just gives you a good baseline understanding of like, why, you know, like, what's the resolution? Why do we have 1080p, you know, like... 4K, is that really 4K? Like, what's the actual number? Why did we go down this, like, hour of two integer for a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. All that stuff is super important. Again, that goes back to the foundational skills of that stuff and is important. It's, not, it's nice to kind of have some sort of understanding of it in mm-hmm. some way, shape, or form. What I have here, real quick, is that the one thing that students now and younger artists have, the fact that you can get the engines that a lot of studios use for free and mess around with them. I mean, you can get in there and, mm-hmm. and figure out what it feels like to be an environment artist uh, within a couple hours. And that is just downloading Unreal Engine 4 and Unity, both or, or pick one. Get in one of those engines and just and see what it's like to move the camera around and, and see the settings, like mess around with the, the terrain editor and, and throw some assets in, throw a couple spotlights and point lights in and, and try to light things. And that's, you really want to get kind of like a, a litmus of what it's like to be an environment artist. We're in those engines daily. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe not specifically Unreal Engine 4 or Unity, but a lot of the engines are around these days, safe to say, have parity with each other to a certain degree. So like everyone, yeah. like they, they kind of all share the same you know, foundational tools to use that word again, but I think that's something really interesting to take a look at. And that's something that I really wish was around when I was in school, at least at the yeah. you know, the intensity that is that is at now. So Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, you know, like <laughs> I'm definitely slightly jealous about some of the tech that's out there now that we didn't have, right? Like yep, yep. I was doing some stuff the other day in Marmoset tool bag in terms of baking a thing, right? Yeah. And I have not really used painters, baker, I just that's not part of the workflow that I've had. So like, you know, yeah. I do what most artists have done over the last decade when you need to, you know, bake texture maps is use X normal. So to jump from tool bag threes baker to that is like light years ahead of what I've had to historically kind of deal with. Right. Yeah. And so it's it, and and you know, on, on top of the resources as well too, right? When we were in school, YouTube was a thing, but you weren't yes. seeing people doing regular and also updated stuff, right? It's like, oh, I'm gonna look up ZBrush and look up this one technique. Oh, here's a video from like two years ago, yep. which is pretty much just means it shits out of date for the thing that I need to do. Oh, this interface is totally different than they have now in this version, so maybe I can still use some of it, right? Like, there wasn't a whole lot out there, but now it's like, you see people that do videos on all that stuff. Constantly, yeah. you have streamers. Epic does their own streams weekly yeah. as well. That's They're something awesome. that I would say, yeah. yeah, is like subscribe to Epic's channel. They do streams every week 
in-depth streams go into some aspect of their engine and it is super useful and helpful for whatever you want to do right there's there's never (laughs) what's the thing that giant bomb always says it's like there's never been a better time Oh yeah, to be into video games, right? Like, yeah, there's never been a better time to be in. <laughs> so yeah, and I like there's plenty of yeah, and also being able to reach out to people, right? Like you have social media, you Absolutely. have both Jess and I are on there as well as other artists, uh, other people that work in game development that you can easily reach out to, right? As long as yeah. you're not weird or creepy or you know, any of the other <laughs> yeah weird stuff, right? Just like, be, just be weird's fine, but weird, don't be. Yeah weird yeah. you know yeah. what i mean weird like, is fine don't be aggressively weird if, if yeah give people time to answer answer you if they if it takes a, if, if it's been a month and you never heard back from them, try one more time you know people are people are busy sometimes too it's like you know we're all we're all just humans you know sometimes you're like oh my gosh like how do i answer this question and you get in your own head of a, like a student asks you a question because you want to make sure you answer it as best as possible you know, so yeah. talking about learning new skills, Ryan and I were talking about some bonus skills that might be interesting to learn, right? We were talking about being in college and, and taking different courses that weren't game-centric, using that to create art and, and bolster our art production. What I have that I wrote down here was learning how to build things in real life helps build artwork for games. Recently, I have been doing a lot of woodworking. And I have been taking apart old skateboards, messing around with this stuff, and b- building this box to hold these tokens for this one board game that I have. And it's made out of wood, and I'm actually set in uh, velvet into the shelves tonight. The thing is, is like when I'm working on that stuff, it, it, it just all connects back to making props and making environments for games. You're doing these things that, that inform you of how things are made, how things are maintained. And it's so important as an environment artist because when you're making these things, you have to understand not only what makes an interesting composition, but then you also have to understand how everything in that composition, the brick buildings, the sidewalk, the crabgrass, the, like, how all of this stuff permeates and grows and, and breaks down and how it was constructed. And any time that you take to learn those things um, really does help your art because you're, you're understanding the function of it and what it takes to be made and constructed and you can emulate that while you're making those pieces yeah you know i think anything that we can do to always relate back to what we do right which is essentially we are recreating the world to some extent right we are recreating it in terms of not just like visually in terms of like all right it's going to be on this flat image right like if you're a 2d artist it's a totally different thing 3d it's like you have to be able to look at it from a bunch of different angles and you have to be able to take that into account when you're building stuff and how that stuff is going to work in the in a believable i wouldn't necessarily say the real world but in a believable way that feels like it can not just aesthetically look right but functionally work right as well right yeah Uh, that's where the craftsmanship end of this really matters and so to kind of extend a little bit in terms of your own like home building experience that like you've been having too is like (laughs) one thing i would kind of throw out there that relates back to this a little bit more than the camp of like hey how do you relate this to something that's like based in media right is like set design and building sets so in high school i was definitely one of those theater geeks right Uh, (laughs) awesome I, i i definitely spent a lot of time working 
and building sets, doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes. And so that's where I can kind of relate back a lot of the stuff that I, that I do now, right? It's like, you know, when I started in 3D, I'm like, oh, okay, this is kind of like set design in the theater a little bit, right? But it's also like, you know, if you take that into consideration for film, there's production design, right? That stuff all matters is like you are still building a physical thing. Yeah. And to have that experience of understanding how to build something in the physical world instills not just waste on how to build something in 3D, but it also allows you to create a workflow within yourself to ask the right questions that will help yeah. you build a believable space, right? It's like if, if like I'm in a street area and there's a billboard or like a space for a billboard where when I put it so it actually faces the street, I wouldn't just be floating up anywhere in the world. I want it to be able to have it feel like it's in a space that makes logical sense i'm not just going to put it in there because i think it works good for a shot that i'm doing right there's definitely ways to do that and there's definitely times when that's appropriate but you have to kind of take that into consideration a balance of how do i have this stuff look functionally real but also how do i have this function the overall intent of what i'm trying to do with with the experience, right? It's like that type of thing. And so you have to be able to balance that stuff out. And so being able to build physical sets, physical things, understanding how an audience is going to be able to experience that stuff. How do you transition between those things to make aesthetically pleasing, right? Because if you're talking about like theater, you have people that are physically moving sets around, right? And that is part of the composition of that, right? That is part of the setup for that, like a scene transition. You will always have, you know, that's something that you take into consideration doing the play, right? Like if like you're just casually watching, it's not something that you're focusing on, right? If it's a good play, you're thinking about whatever is going on in that scene at that moment, right? From like the story standpoint. But ultimately, those little details are the things that people that work in the theater care deeply about it's visually appealing it keeps you in the mind space of what the play or what the musical might be because it doesn't feel like it's just like distracting it feels like it's all harmonious right yeah and that's something you know like that tiny little detail even though it's something that you could forget about it's also crucial to making sure that you maintain that sense of pacing and building to that stuff um so when it comes to building anything for a set design right uh that stuff is important Particularly, too, you know, and, like, homes are, like, this to a certain extent as well as, like, the right color, you want the right lighting scenario. With set design, it's a little bit more freeing because you can kind of fake stuff. If I have a window in here and I want light shining into it, you know, I can just put, like, a spotlight on here, right? Or, like, put just, like, any sort of light source, right? Whereas with a home, it's like, I don't really control the sun. That's kind of weird. I can't really do that, so... And we have friends that are super technical environmenters. They love the techie side of things. Yeah, yeah. Those guys are probably into mechanical building. And they're, you know, so they might be into cars. You oh, could yeah. take that knowledge that you have and build that into the work that you do as well, right? One of our tech artists that I work with, I'm very good friends with over the years, he, <laughs> he'll take apart electronics. Like and then put them back together. That's like one of his hobbies that he does. And sometimes he takes it apart and he can't get back together for like, you know, a couple of days. And he'll put it back together, make sure it works. But he also works on computers. Like it's just funny, you know. Everyone has their little things that kind of bolster their understanding and their flow of their their actual work. So it's always it's always interesting to me to see that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Again, this all goes back to the idea of, hey, having more experience in life 
and trying a bunch of different things is super important. And I think the reason why we're stressing this so much is that there are a lot of schools out there that do not focus on that at all, right? Yeah, like they absolutely. only want you to be, you know, focus on just 3D and a particular type of 3D. Yep. Which is environment art and a very particular type of environment art so it's important to be able to still say hey wait a minute like i want to know more than just this right you might get really high quality work and you might get a job out of it but after that like where where are you going to go with it right like you have to be able to do work that's going to be interesting otherwise you're not going to last long yeah it just it just will be very hard yeah at one point tech will always be this thing there's like through production you're going to end up having to come back and learn some stuff that you might have passed up because uh, a project's in full production and they don't have time to change all the tech and it's, it's not stable to do so. So yeah. you, you need to make sure that, you know, like, you, again, those foundational art skills can carry you through any environment and any uh, situation that you're in in your professional career. So mm-hmm. one thing that I, that I wanted to end on here and one thing that Ryan and I have been talking about is just playing games and being a fan versus working on games and being in game development and how it changes theoretically i mean personally for me it's just that you know like i still love to play games i work on games at work and then i come home and i'll boot up some other game but i think that change for me has been that a majority of my time is when i play games i study what's going on in the games and i think it's really important to say that when you're playing games that you like like Start breaking it down in your head of why it's working and why you find it enjoyable. These things can really help you out, even older games. I'm juggling a couple new and old games right now, and I look at all of them with the same critical eye of, you know, why are these scenes working? Why are these levels working? What's the composition like? How does this work within the gameplay? What have the environment artists done in this game and the level designers have done in this game that have helped the game be more successful or more fun or more immersive? You know? Yeah. I'm definitely really glued into this industry and there's definitely points where I feel like I should take a step back. Yeah. It's more about just the amount of consumption about it that sometimes feels like it's a little too much and it's good, right, to be able to stick your head out and say, okay, well, what else is going on out there and have a better understanding of that, right? Yeah. Because, again, ultimately as much as I really enjoy games, I view myself more as a creative person and I like to be able to see a variety of yep. things. Yep. And I have particular tastes that sometimes games just cannot fulfill. That's just not the type of stuff that is out there, right? Yep. So it's important to be able to have that balance and feel like, what are the things that I can take that can help me become a better game artist as well as a game dev? And how can I bring that into my own art, right? Whether it's a personal yep. or professional, there's definitely ways to be able to discover that stuff and then say, how do I integrate that back into there, right? You know, this goes back to any creative form, any person that you might look up to that's a filmmaker writer whatever right they always go back to hey they pull from so many things and they're very observant of that right and so being able to be observant of the stuff that you do and how you feel about things will benefit you as an artist it'll make your art better it'll make you more observant it'll allow you to do more interesting stuff and that's where we're trying to aim for. I feel like ultimately as like artists, it's just like, oh yeah, I want to make stuff cool, awesome. But do you want to just make it look really nice, right? Right. Like I use the comparison of almost like making something really pretty is 
kind of like going to like an art museum and you'll go there for the first little while and stare at some of the really nice pieces that might be there and then you know you realize oh I'm going to look at this stuff but you're not going to look at the things in the same amount of attention and time that you would have given to things earlier except for the ones that really stand out to you right and that's how environment art can be right it's like even though we are building a 3D space and people occupy that space at some point you kind of just go this is like normal you normalize that and unless you see something new and different that compels you to kind of look at that thing and go, oh this is really awesome does not matter what the art style is you know you can go you know hyper realistic the the, the highest peaks of tr- AAA all the way down to voxelize like tech you know a game that might be using like I don't know like 128 texture sizes it's like if the experience is fun you can kind of build the art around that stuff right um obviously it's a great challenge to be able to say let's make something impressive in 3d cool i mean i think what you were saying too is just like taking a break away from the screen and doing some other creative things or or having other kind of hobbies is i think super important to kind of balance out especially being a fan of games you know that's just something that I've really come to embrace, really. And I, I feel like as much as I'd like to play games, I've started scheduling days in my week where I'm like, listen, i got to take a break from the screen. So I'm always finding different ways to kind of, you know, do different type of artwork. I do songs. I, I do little stupid videos on my on my phone for my friends. You know, like anything that kind of gets some creative juices flowing that, uh, yeah. you know, just kind of keep me fresh, but also just give me a break from the day-to-day grind, so... Yeah, absolutely. I know we're running kind of a little over time here, but yeah, it was sure. something we wanted to talk to a bit and touch on it just oh, a bit too. Is like yeah, the idea of like a work-life balance is super important. I think in school, you know, there's more of the, you know, again, this varies from everybody's situation. They might be in school, right? Like I was yeah. lucky enough where I didn't have to dedicate myself to things outside of school. I could focus on just the school. And so I threw myself out there because I was wanting to get better. Yeah. That being said, that was me pushing myself to do it. I think it's different when if you have an instructor or somebody that you look up to in either a program or school that says you need to be able to push yourself like crazy because if you don't, you're not going to be able to work in this industry because everybody does that. Everybody does 14-hour work days, seven days a week for their stuff. Anybody that tells you that is a <laughs> fuck them is what I would say. Like <laughs> it's just it's awful. That's not that's not the way to go with this. Like I have a strong belief that we as individuals can easily get burnt out, and sometimes that fire inside of you that gets you to want to go to art school to become an artist and push yourself through those late nights you lose that to some extent yeah and you will eventually lose most of it the important thing to keep in mind is is like how do you space that time out so you don't burn that in a short period amount of time right versus hey i want to have a long career right do like how long do i want to work in games i'm working games for 5 10 20 years like that's a reality that we have the luxury of being able to say now, you know, because this industry is established. Now there's ways for people to make really good living off of things and be able to be creatively rewarded in the work they do. But you need to be able to really kind of pace yourself with a lot of this stuff, you know. For us, we can spend years at a time working on a project. And if you're going to spend 14-hour days for those three years, 
very quickly bring yourself out. Maybe not on that project, maybe not even on the project after that. Yeah. But then you, it might be the third project where you're just like, you know, I've been doing this for like six, seven years. Yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. This isn't fun to me. I, yeah, need to, yeah. I need to go do something else. And now all of a sudden it's like done three projects and that's it. Whereas other people that might have paced themselves, you know, they can go on and do more and more projects and work on stuff that's just as rewarding, but you just are out. And so I think it's important as a student to recognize that, you know, yeah. not to say hold yourself back entirely, that you definitely do not want to do that. Let your passion, let your desire move you, but be cognizant of, I don't want to do that. I don't want to burn myself out. Yep. And there might be times where you are put in that situation where you don't have a choice for that. And in that case, I always strongly recommend saying, reconsider where you are and figure out if this is the place that you want to be at long-term yep. or if it's just like a thing that you need to kind of get through for stuff too, right? Ultimately, to me, I think it's going to be able to balance yourself out. I'm not a fan of crunch. I think crunch is terrible, but... I also know there's points where, you know, I got into work at like nine o'clock in the morning. It's like seven now. I could go home, but you know what? I'm just going to stay here and just keep working. And now all of a sudden it's like 10 or 11. And, and you know what? That's fine to do once in a while. That's really fine. But don't do it to yourself consistently. Don't make that your normal scheduling Absolutely. time, especially in game development where it takes so long to, to do that stuff. Yeah. And don't, and don't get to the point of convincing yourself either. Like, I do my best work at three in the morning because your your health is important. You know, there has to be some other solution than having like a really odd schedule or overworking yourself to get a certain quality art or a certain amount of art, you know, out. So it's always, it's always very important to know that too. And I think it, it, one yeah. thing to add to that too is if you do get, you do end up getting a job in the game industry, pace yourself and don't try to rush through the work that your leads or your mentors give you. I think it's really easy to be like, oh man, like once I'm done this fire hydrant, you know, I, I, next thing I get is some sort of hero prop. And once I'm, and then they give you a trash can. It's like, ne once I'm done this trash can, I'm going to get this done as fast as I can and I'm going to get something good. And it's like, that stuff is good. <laughs> like, you know, like, it's it's a nice time being you know an intern or a junior artist getting smaller pieces to work on and take a deep breath and and have that time to learn and grow as an artist and as an individual and don't worry about brute forcing yourself through your career or through your your art process you will get some results from it at first but it ultimately will just really burn you out and you know yeah. that's coming from experience you know yeah that's not, not just for yeah both of us right yeah, yeah and like that's the thing that you always hear in any studies or any sort of data about crunch is like yeah you'll get you'll get more productivity out of it in the short term but long term wise you will and then you're like why did we even do this right like so it's important to be able to have that respect for yourself and for the people that you work with to say, hey, you know, and again, right, like if you're a student, you're getting into a studio, you don't really have a lot of say with that stuff. But I would definitely say this, there's, there's plenty of studios out there that are getting better at this, that are good at it as well. But it is the nature of, of the industry to some extent of like, hey, this is an industry about passion. So if you're passionate enough to continue to work, you should be able to, and you should want to be able to do that.
But if it's time where you're like, you know what, I'm going to do eight hours because what I'm doing right now is, you know, an extra three, four hours a day. I'm going to take this next day and just do an eight hour day. Go for it. You should be fine. You know, like (laughs) if like that's available to you, you should do it for sure. Yeah. So I think that's a good stopping point for the main conversation here. I think that the next thing we want to do to end this is just go through some cool resources for students to check out. Uh, first, just a couple websites I think that any junior artists and, and students would like to, you probably, you might know about them already, that's completely fine, but just for all the people that don't know, it's important for us to, to say. So uh, the first one is ArtStation. ArtStation is an awesome portfolio slash art blog website where a lot of different artists, a lot of different, different disciplines and different industries place their art up. So movies, illustration, comic books, sculpture, freelance, video game art, all goes up on this website. And it's, it's fantastic. I mean, it, it's a really great way to look at art that's out there, specifically environment art and game art, and see what the the field looks like, like what other students are doing, what senior environment artists, what senior artists are doing in the game industry, what their what their work looks like, what their personal work looks like, how their process is, what their their pipeline is for their personal work, or their maybe luckily they can they can post what they've done on certain projects. It's just a really good place. The second website I would say is kind of a classic, and it's been a really good website to go to is polycount uh there's a community of game artists and they do competitions and and they help students and they they have a lot of documentation and and interviews and and stuff there that just is really really helpful and their forms can be very helpful to kind of work through and troubleshoot software stuff and aesthetic things and get some crits and critiques for pretty much free you know which is Mm -hmm. very valuable that is polycount is good old reliable right yeah so and and like all this stuff too, I'm sure probably all you guys that are listening to this have heard this, but you know, we want to just kind of hit the main base for those that haven't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just, it's affirmation. These, these sites are important. Not that you need to hear it from us, but uh, mm-hmm. the other, the other website is 80 level. Kirill is doing such a great job over there. And the, the guys at 80 level just doing really cool in-depth articles and interviews with game developers, just the whole spectrum, indie guys, students, seniors uh, juniors all that stuff it's just fantastic and it just it's one of these things now that I open up pretty much on a daily basis to see what what new stuff is kind of coming through and and seeing what I can learn from different processes and, and software pipelines etc etc um, for classes now we talked about online classes and mentorships earlier in the episode there's really good websites out there. I've taken a, a couple classes as a professional artist from some of these, and I would really, and they have a really good uh, student program, and uh, I would definitely take a look at it if you're looking to get into some classes. Uh, CG Master Academy is fantastic. Uh, CG Society. Uh, all these will be linked in the, the show notes. Um, Nomon classes are fantastic. That's a great place. If you if you live somewhere in California, you can get there. They do some, some interesting summer workshops as well. Uh, something that's a little bit more specific to a software is that Algorithmic does uh, Substance Days. They've been doing this kind of around the world at this point. They do one with Nomon that I actually was uh, lucky enough to go to, and that's a fantastic little class if you're looking to catch up on that. And I think one of the most valuable ones 
is the GDC Vault. So like a lot of the game developers conference or GDC happens every year and a lot of the talks end up getting put on YouTube. And also too, they're on GDC's Vault website slash page. And you can go there and just look at all these industry professionals talking about all their pipeline stuff about the game industry and game development. And it's, it's really, really, really informative. And it just will really help uh, aspiring students to kind of understand how the whole industry works and churns and what the different facets are. Yeah, beyond just art, right? Like... Exactly, exactly. A couple other things just real quick to go through. A couple cool, positive practicing artists that I, I follow on Twitter. I figured I, I'd give them a little shout out. And they're really nice to follow, especially if you're a student, because they're just always creating great artwork. Uh, one is Ben Nicholas. He's at, at Belgian Boolean. He's a concept artist, and he used to be an environment artist, and he just is always making really interesting little dioramas and images and spaceships, and it's just awesome to see that stuff, and it's always great to kind of get the creative juices flowing. It's the <laughs> same thing with the artist Gareth Davies. He's at, at Spadonkey. Again, I'll, I'll, I'll link all this stuff in the show notes. He does all these morning warm-up drawings and little sketches and silhouettes, and I, I wake up and look at Twitter and, and see all these cool little art pieces that he does. And it jazzes me up and say, oh, man, I'm, you know, I, I got to get drawing today. I'm going to go do some landscape painting at lunch or, you know, it just it's, it's really interesting to see his stuff. Uh, same yeah. with uh, Michael Furman. He's an illustrator, artist. He does all these really cool illustrations, like in fan art stuff. And his stuff is just really, really, really neat. I actually don't think I've ever seen someone. Yeah, he, he's I'm cool. Yeah, he's his stuff is awesome, and he just does like a whole breadth of things, and he's great. And then oh, the, nope, yep, nope, I have followed him. Yep, yeah, nope, yeah, I love his cool. style. Yeah, yeah. And then the the last one is Harlan Perez, uh, and he's at Harlan Perez, J A R L A N P E R E Z. He does these little robots, and he does all these different types of stuff. But he has these cool little dioramas that I think are really really cool for students to see, because just to show you that you can get a little environment kick in pretty quickly and it doesn't have to be a gigantic uh, monstrosity of a project especially as you know like when you only have a class that spans for a semester and you're trying to get something interesting or or maybe you're trying to do environment artwork in between your your classes at home as personal work it's just really nice to see what other environment artists and what other artists are doing to create cool little spaces and interesting art so Hopefully that all helps, and um, you know if you guys have any other questions, uh, feel free to hit Ryan and I up on Twitter. Yeah, I can definitely say Ben, Yarla, and Helder are super awesome guys. Super yeah. chill guys. Uh, they're very positive people, and yeah, you know they post work regularly. So yeah, it's awesome. You know, yeah. like they're you know they're very big and just like talking and sharing with other artists. You know. They're pretty great, so highly recommended from both of us. Well, all right, guys. I mean, I think that's uh, enough stuff for one episode. I know we've gone a little a little long here. We're, we're trying to get the episodes down shorter, but we, we do like trying to get as much as we can and cram as much as we can in each episode. So, yeah, thank you so much for listening, and hopefully to all the students, let us know if you know this helps. Ryan and I are really focused on not only creating a, a, a like a positive landscape for environment artists, but also for students that really want to get into environment art. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We both are always open to answering any sort of questions 
you guys have or if you want to get in contact with somebody like hey i want to talk to a specific person do you know somebody in there and we might be able to point you but like oh that person you can go talk to them and they work on that thing yeah, that yeah. you want to talk to them about so you know there's plenty of, i would definitely say environment artists i i found are usually some of the most chill people when it comes to like game dev like we're pretty we're pretty low-key and mellow for the most part most of us so and like yeah. we like to talk <laughs> so yeah we do so, like to talk <laughs> certainly like to talk let me tell you um yeah yeah again thank you everybody this is uh thank you for tuning through all of this but also real quick too uh we are on spotify now we have an audio version we have heard we have heard your cries we yes. have done it commissioner done... gordon we have seen your signal we have we have done it there's an audio version of the podcast that is out now you will definitely be hearing this one probably hopefully the other with it yeah, is so. so yeah yeah we're we're, we're kind of new to this stuff and we're trying we know that youtube is probably not the easiest place to listen to the podcast when you're driving to work or, or wherever you know so we want to make sure that we put it into the, um, the easiest listening arenas as possible well Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you on episode four. We got something really awesome planned, so yeah, hopefully that'll be coming very soon. Yes, very, very soon. <laughs> very soon. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> hopefully it's not too soon. We got to get this one out first. <laughs> it might come out before this episode. It might come out before <laughs> episode four. Redo. I don't know. There you I go. didn't use that right. Absolutely. One in Rome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, bye. <laughs>